Well, good morning, Heritage, and uh, also to those of you who are visiting with us today, thanks for taking the time out of your schedule to uh, sit in your living room or out on your deck or wherever it is you may be watching today, and uh, welcome all to uh, Heritage Online, and man, I, I am so excited, um, yes, about today about being able to share God's Word with you, but as I think about a week from today, because this will be the last Sunday that I'll be preaching to an empty auditorium. Yeah! <laughs> so we're excited. And uh, for those of you as, uh, who are part of our regular church family, uh, you may already have gotten some information. We'll be getting more to you. In fact, at the end of our service, don't leave us because Pastor Paul is going to be sharing the details of a reopening and how you can get set up to register and all those things for next Sunday morning. We're so excited. I can't tell you how uh, thrilled I am to be able to preach to live bodies again right here in the auditorium. It'll be a great thing. So make sure you get a good night's sleep because you don't want to sleep through next Sunday is the first Sunday back. So thanks for joining us, and uh, we're going to get rolling. We started last Sunday our series on uh, God's will, not what you think, understanding God's will. And so as today as we talk about this whole business, it's do God's will, know God's will. If you're taking notes, write that down, because you're going to hear me say that a number of times today. Do God's will, know God's will. And I'll be explaining what I mean by that, but that's critical that you understand, do God's will, know God's will. So how can you know God's will for your life? As we talked last week, that's the question we all individually are asking many times when it comes to understanding the will of God. How can I know God's will for my life? And, and again, we'll say today, it's do God's will, know God's will. Did you get that? Write it down. Put it on your uh, tablet, your phone, wherever you're taking notes. Do God's will, and you'll know God's will. Think with me, if, if you would, if, as we get started. Uh, a couple of scenarios. You're, you're asked if you would be willing to serve as a deacon this coming year. And you're approached by someone who asks you that question. Or maybe you're approached by... Uh, our director of children's ministry, Stephanie, comes to you and says, hey, we need some helpers in fourth, first to fourth grade classes. Would you be willing to help? Or, or maybe Scott approaches you and says, hey, listen, we need some extra help uh, with the guest services team uh, as we reopen. And uh, you think about it, all the responsibilities, the explanation, the job description for those various responsibilities are given to you, explained. And, uh, and then... Uh, you th look at it and say, listen, uh, let me pray about it. I'll get back to you. Or here's another one. You get a phone call from a close friend. And they ask if you'd be willing to come for a week or two to spend some time with them, to live in their home with their families. And uh, they're, they're a couple of days away by plane, but um, uh, they have some trouble going on in the home and, and you're asked if you would come and, and be there to help them out. And as you think about it, you think, wow, I, I don't have airfare, my budget, I, I don't have uh, 
a lot of extra time. In fact, I've got things I've got to take care of, or uh, I've got my own family to think about. Uh, I'll tell you what, let, let me pray about it, and I'll get back to you. Uh, have you been in a similar situation before like that? You are given an opportunity, uh, there's a need presented, and as you have to think about what you can or can't do, if you uh, are able, if it's a yes or if it's a no, and how do you make that decision? It may be church, it may be your family, it may be your workplace, it may be school, it may be your neighborhood or community. Uh, it could be any one of a number of opportunities or just simply needs that are presented to you. And, and you've got to respond. You've got to think through whether or not this is something God would have you to do. How do you know God's will for your life? How do you come to determine whether it's a yes or it's a no? And uh, let me ask you, when... When those opportunities or decisions come and you say you'll pray about it, uh, how do you get a yes or no from God? How does that happen? When do you know that God says, yes, go ahead, I want you to do this, or no, this is not what I have in mind for you? Uh, are you with me? Does that make sense when I ask that question? I'm not mocking in any way. I'm not putting you down for saying you pray about it, but how do you get that answer? How do you hear yes or no from God? Um, how do you, how do I, how do we make those kinds of decisions? Because you just can't open your Bible and find a yes or a no to every decision, to every area of God's will that you'd like to know about. So how does this work? The Bible doesn't say Ford or Chevy or Honda. I don't think those words are in the pages of the Bible. When you're looking to buy a new, a new car or a used car, another car, how do you know what's the right car? Or if you're making a college choice, those of you that are maybe high school students or those of you that are college students and Maybe with all that's gone on this last semester, you're ready to transfer or change your mind. Again, the Bible doesn't have the words Clark Summit University or Cedarville University or Keystone or Liberty or the U. They're, those words, those schools aren't listed in Scripture. How do you know where God wants you to go? When I used to work for Clark Summit University and, and part of their admissions team and, and would talk to students about God's will and whether or not they would consider coming to Clark Summit University. And, and sometimes it had to do with cost or uh, tuition, all those kinds of things. And my question would always be, listen, is God's will the least expensive school the one that has the, the least amount of room, board, and tuition and fees? Is that God's will? Uh, you may say, well, I, I can't afford anything. How do you know God doesn't want you to go to the more expensive school and provide what you need for the difference? See, we, we, we make the will of God so subjective. We, we make it about feelings. How do I feel and as we think often about what God's will is, we, we, you may have used the term or heard somebody use the term, 
Well, God closed the door. I, 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 that's not God's will because he closed the door. Or God opened this door. It must be God's will. Well, how do you know the closed door is God's answer? No. Or maybe it's just a test. Maybe God's saying, this is what I want you to do, and I want to see how willing you are to push through and do it even if it's difficult. You see, it's about feelings. That's how we many times think and give that consideration. And it's at this point, as we're working through all these different scenarios, that, that we get a little bit of confusion entering into the equation, and we get frustrated, and, and we're not sure what to do, and, and we begin to maybe wonder, why is God making this business of knowing his will so hard, so difficult. And as we said last week, listen, God hasn't made knowing his will difficult. We have. We have. We're the ones that have brought the confusion and the frustration into the mix and, and made it a difficult thing. That's never what God intended. Think about it. It doesn't make sense for God to have a plan and a will for our lives, something that he wants us to do, that is his best for us, and then to make it really difficult to discover what that is. That, that's not the God that my Bible describes. And that's not the God who I want to follow. And fortunately, it's not the God that we know, nor is it the God that we have to follow because God hasn't made it difficult. That's not the kind of God we want to follow. So, quick review. We typically refer to the will of God, as we shared last week, in, in three different ways. We talk about God's will of decree. God's will of decree, that is the things that God has sovereignly planned or purposed uh, for our life. He has decreed, and because he did, that will happen. God's will of decree are the things that will happen. They cannot change. They cannot be stopped or hindered in any way. And then secondly, there's God's will of desire. God's will of desire is is those commands that God has given us in Scripture, that he teaches, that he gives us in the Word of God, that he wants to be true of our lives, areas of obedience that he wants us to follow through and do what he says we should do, God's will of desire, and we can choose to obey or to disobey, to follow or to disregard what it is that he wants us to do. And then thirdly, is God's will of direction. Now, God's will of direction is different from the other two because we showed in Scripture last that these two are in the Bible. God's will of direction, which is typically when people say, I'm, I'm trying to figure out God's will for my life, that's the area in which we get stuck. And that's also the will of God that we think about, but that is not found in the Bible. And so as we looked at that last week, 
that involves the details of the who, the what, the when, the where, the how of the decisions. Usually it's the bigger decisions. It's the who am I going to marry? Should I get married? What is my job going to be? What is I go to college? What college should I choose? And where am I going to live? And then when we get married, uh, are we going to have children? Well, how many? And we think about those big picture decisions. And yet God's will, as we're going to see, is an every moment of every day experience. And uh, as we move through that, here's the deal. We've said this. I shared it with you last week, and I want you to grab hold of this again. If you didn't write it down last week, write it down. You can know God's will for your life by living in obedience to the revealed word of God. That's also, you could substitute here, to the revealed will of God. God's will of decree or God's will of desire. But this isn't about God's will of direction. So as we think about this, it's obedience to what we know is what God wants us to do. That's critical. And so as we move through here this morning, I want to talk with you about some specific areas that we need to respond to God, some specific areas in which we need to obey God's revealed will, God's revealed word to us. And so let's get started. It is God's will that you are saved. No question about it. If you have your Bibles there with you, open them. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We studied this about a year ago. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. We ought to be praying for our leaders right now especially. We ought to be doing it anyway, but now would be a great time if you're not doing that. And then look at this, verse 3. This is good and pleases God our Savior, what? That we pray for all people. And here's a specific request. Who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth? It is God's will that you be saved. It is God's will that you know Jesus Christ as the one, the only one who can forgive your sin, declare you to be right before God and guarantee you a place in heaven, a home in heaven after your life on this earth ends. That is God's will. That is God's desire for you. And if you don't know Jesus today, you can believe that Jesus died for you on the cross to forgive your sin, to pay the penalty for that sin before God. He shed his blood to pay for your sin. And when you believe Jesus did that for you because of God's unbelievable love for you. God forgives your sin and saves you and transforms your life. That's what God wants for you. But if you choose to reject that this morning, you're not walking in God's will. Secondly, and here's some other scriptures I have, by the way, too. I'm not going to take the time to look through each of them. But 2 Peter 3, 9, God's not willing that any should perish. He's patient, long-suffering. Check the 
context out for that. But I do want to share with you this one in, in John chapter 10 because this is an amazing thing and, 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 and it will help even in our understanding of God's will for our lives as we give this some thought and consideration. Um, Jesus is teaching about the shepherd and the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. And uh, he gets down to verse 3 and, and this is what we read. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, for the shepherd. And the sheep listen to his voice. The sheep hear what the shepherd has to say. Think of yourself, if you know Jesus, as one of the sheep. Think of Jesus as the shepherd. Those who are his sheep, those who have believed, listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And then we read this as we go through. When he, the shepherd, has brought out all of his own, his own sheep, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. They, they recognize their shepherd. They know what it is he's telling them. They know what, if we could say, God's will is. And then verse 5 we read this, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. You see, God never intended his will to be confusing. Because when he speaks, and he has right here, he says we know his voice and we follow because we know who our shepherd and our savior really is. Let's move on. It is God's will that you be saved. It is also God's will that you be spirit-filled. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. And some of these scriptures you may be familiar with. Again, as, as we've been challenging you, be sure to check out the context of each of these uh, verses and passages that we're looking at. We challenged you at the end of last Sunday's message that you, like the church in Berea, the Jews, the Christians there, that they studied the scriptures to see if what they were being taught is true. And I would challenge you to do that. Look at the whole context because I'm just giving you a little bit of peace here and there which is in the context of, I believe, what we're trying to say here. But in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. There it is. Don't be foolish. You want to know God's will. He's got a will for you. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And, and, and the text goes on after that to share in verses um, 19, 20, 21 what it means to be filled with the Spirit or what would be true of somebody who is filled with the Spirit. So what does that mean? Well, I think the key here is, is don't get drunk on wine. You see, why would, why would Paul use that as an illustration of, of how to know or how to be filled with the Spirit so you can know God's will? Because the idea, when you're drunk, you are out of control. What the Spirit's filling is has to do with being under the influence or control of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. That's what it is. You've seen drunk people, I'm sure, if not in real life, on television or in the movies or wherever, and you know they can't even walk a straight line. That's why when they're pulled over for drunk driving, that's the walk a straight line. If they can't walk a straight line, they're dr why? Because they can't control. They're under the influence of that alcohol. 
And Paul is saying, we need not to be doing our thing. We need to be under the control and the influence of the Holy Spirit of God who's going to use his word to direct us in his life. That's what we're talking about. You want to know God's will? You've got to be spirit-filled. You see, it's about yielding control of our lives to God, to the Holy Spirit. Let, let me just make clear. Some people talk about the filling of the Spirit as some more of the Spirit you get after you get saved. When you get to some level of spiritual maturity and you really understand more about God, all of a sudden you get, you get filled with the Spirit. That's not at all what the filling of the Spirit is taught in Scripture. So make sure, because the moment you get saved, you get all of the Holy Spirit there is to get. All of the Holy Spirit there is to get. You'll have to study Scripture to see that that's true, but that's absolutely what God's Word teaches regarding the Spirit filling. John uh, MacArthur says, uh, being filled with the Spirit is living every moment as though you were in the very presence of Jesus. Imagine Jesus bodily, physically walking side by side. And how would you live your life? Quite honestly, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, He's right there. He's within you. He is there every moment with every decision you make. But think about it that way. If He's there, wow, that, that would affect the way we live our lives. That's a great illustration. Thirdly, it is God's will that you are sanctified. Um, it is God's will that you are sanctified. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. And again, you need to study through that whole text so that you can know what's there. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, we get um, down to verse 3, and it simply says this, It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Sanctified, that word means to be set apart, set apart as holy unto God. And then the verse continues on, so it is God's will that you should be sanctified. When you come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, he sets you apart as holy unto himself. He's changed you. You're, you're, you're forgiven. Your sin is taken away and you are sanctified, set apart to God. And he says, as he continues the verse, Paul says, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Man, our culture is just full of sexual immorality. Everywhere you look, everywhere people think, they talk, that it's like, wow, that's it. And Paul goes on in these verses to talk specifically about purity. Sexual purity is what he's talking about. Sex outside of marriage is not God's will. It's sin. Scripture makes that clear in so many places. But that's what Paul's saying, and he goes on and talks about that. But then he gets down to verse 7. And again, you study through those seven verses. But verse 7, Paul says this, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Same word as sanctification up in verse 3. 
It is God's will that you be sanctified. Verse 7, exact same word, but to we are to live a holy life, a sanctified life, a life set apart to God, a life that when people look at us, they say, you know what, there's something different about that individual. And when they ask you, it's like, hey, it's Jesus. He's made all the difference in my life. But that's it. It is God's will that you be sanctified. And I've got another passage of Scripture that I would point out to you. You can again check 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 and 16. Paul, Peter says, hey, we are to be holy just like God is holy. But you look that up and recognize this. It is God's will that you be sanctified, that you be set apart, that you be holy and pure so God can use you to accomplish all that he's intended for you on this earth. And then fourth, it is God's will that you are submissive. Wow, this is, this is a, a big one. This is, this is a rough one. Um, here's what 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Here it is. It is God's will that you be submissive. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Every human authority. Put yourself under every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. And in the context of those verses, you, you know, we just saw the, the governor, the authority there is to punish evil and, and to honor good. Well, it is God's will that by doing good, well, yes, obedience to the, to the authority that God has placed in our lives, the human authority, but all of the bigger picture is that, yes, that we submit to the human authority that God's placed in our lives. Start at the top, our president right on down. But it goes beyond that. It, our parents, right? They're our God-given human authority. If you're in school, your teacher, your professor, if you have a job, your boss, your employer, your authority, we could go whatever it may be, all human authority. And Peter says it is God's will that we put ourselves, that we submit to that authority in our lives. So I got to ask you this. How do you get along with those in authority over you? How do you get along with those in authority over you? You pick the authority. Maybe you can list a couple that you're, hey, I'm good with that, but, but then there are some others that you really struggle with. Romans tells us, Paul says in the book of Romans, that the powers that are in place are there because God put them there. Just like Peter said right here, we need to recognize it as God's will. And then lastly, it is God's will that you're suffering. Now, this is a, a difficult one for us because we in America don't really understand what suffering for our faith is. Around the world, people who know Jesus Christ are losing their lives, are being martyred, killed for no other reason other than that they claim to know Jesus Christ. There are others that may not be killed, but they're persecuted. They're put down. Oh, that's happening around the world. But here's what Peter says. In, in 1 Peter chapter 4, 
And again, look at the, all of the verses around that, starting in verse 12 and moving down through nine, verse 19. And he talks about make sure if we suffer, it's because we took a stand for God. Not because, can I just put it in the Glen Amos translation? Don't suffer because you're a jerk. How's that? <gasps> Did he just say that? Well, I, that's what Peter's saying. Sometimes as Christians, we act like fools. We're obnoxious. And we wonder why we get ourselves in trouble. That's not the kind of suffering. Well, I'm suffering for being a... No, you're suffering because you're foolish. Because you're being a jerk. Peter says here that we need to suffer because we stand for the will of God. One of the verses that I have here, well, let's look at this. Verse 19 is the last verse, and it's the conclusion. So you read verses 12 to 19, but verse 19, so then those who suffer according to God's will. What is that? Well, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 that all, everyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Check out Philippians. I don't think I have it on the screen, but Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29 is another one. Write that down. Check that out. But here it is. If so, then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. It is God's will. We live for him and take a stand. We will suffer. Listen, folks. The way our country's going, I don't think it's long before we who know Jesus are going to, in the United States, I'm not a prophet, I'm not making a prediction, but we will suffer. We're going to experience persecution for no other reason than we know Jesus Christ. Okay, so what now? How do we know the will of God? Well, those five areas that I just shared with you is God's will for you, are God's will for you. And again, I repeat, you can know God's will for your life by living in obedience to the revealed word of God. Literally to the revealed will of God. Those five areas that you're saved, that you're spirit filled, that you're sanctified, that you're submissive, and that you're suffering, those are stated clearly as God's will for you and I who know Jesus and, and, and will obey him. So how are you doing with those? You see, are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? If not, there's no way you're going to know direction for any other part of your life. Are you filled with the Spirit? Are you under the influence of the Spirit of God, or is it the influence of yourself? Are we set apart as holy unto God? Are you living a pure life? Are you submissive to the God-given human authorities in your lives? How about suffering? Is your life a, a godly life? And I think there's a lot of the willingness to say, you know what, I'm going to do what I do. It doesn't matter if I suffer because God saved me listen the best way to know the will of god is to do the will of god so as we've been saying i told you and, and uh th this quote um, came across in a, in a book that i just discovered on the will of god finding god's will 
invites believers to shift their understanding of God's will from an event to be experienced. That's typically what we think. I make a decision, an event. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get married. I'm going to buy a car. I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to... It's, it's an event to be, ex- rather than a process to live. God's will is what happens when we seek him. It's every moment of every day of our lives we're in the middle of God's, or not. The middle of God's will, or not. So here it is again. Do God's will, know God's will. That's it. And as we wrap it up here, came across this, what, what would happen what would happen if we as a church made it our goal to please God by living in obedience to his revealed will, to his revealed word? What would happen? Just imagine if everybody who's part of the body here at Heritage would live in obedience to the word of God. Those five steps that we already talked about. What if, what if those were our goal in life? Wow. Mark Twain is alleged to have said this. It ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. Think about that. Why? Because it's the parts that we do understand that we need to obey. Many times, well, I don't understand what the Bible means here. Okay, but there's a whole lot of stuff we do understand and we need to obey it. Here's another way to say this. Now, he didn't say that. I did. It ain't those parts of God's will that I can't understand that bother me. It is the parts that I do understand. We get all hung up and I got to know God's will about this, that. What about doing the things that we know are God's will? And sometimes they're more difficult than those big decisions. It's the every day, every moment of every day, steps of obedience to God. Do God's will, know God's will. Did you get that? Do God's will, know God's will. Join us next week because I'm going to give you the final step. How do you get that yes or that no from God when you pray? You join us next week right here in the auditorium. And we'll give you that answer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your plan and your will for our lives. And for loving us so much that you've mapped out our lives. And and you've given us all we need to know exactly how we can experience your best for us. Oh God, help us to be obedient. Help us to take the time to be in your word. Help us to take the time to obey already what we know to be your will. God, if there's anybody listening, watching this morning who is not a believer, who does not know Jesus Christ, oh God, I pray that you'd save them. I pray that you'd turn their heart to you. Bring conviction of their sin into their life. Cause them to know that Jesus died to forgive them. God, help us who know Jesus to obey. Help us to be willing to do that which your word reveals is your will for our lives. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.